Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs. Hey, welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we empower you, the filmmaking entrepreneur. And a great way to get started is to get the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion while doing it. It's available in paperback, Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. That's survivetheimplosion.com. Hey, Film Troopers. Before I get to today's guest, I wanted to share with you a story that is related to my book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. Uh, One of the very first supporters of Film Trooper who I met was an actor in L.A. who had just finished his feature film about a vampire hunter, and the film was called Just the Vampire Hunter. It's available on Amazon right now. Anyhow, beyond being a filmmaker, I learned that this actor had carved out a very nice career as a professional voice actor. He's been contracted by major studios to do spots for everything from Transformer movie spots to Super Bowl ads. He's currently represented by William Morris Endeavor. His name is Dustin Lane James, and after following Film Trooper for years and reading the book, he took the initiative to apply that knowledge he gained from it to launch his own online course and membership called My Voice World. If you happen to be someone who wants to learn more about the art, craft, and business of voiceover, then I highly recommend taking his course. Just hop on over to filmtrooper.com forward slash VO course to get all the details. Again, that's filmtrooper.com forward slash VO course. Really, really proud of Dustin and inspired what he's created. So I think you'll all get a lot of value from what he has to offer. All right, on to my guest for today's episode. You know him. You've heard him before. He's a good friend of mine. He's the creator and founder of Indie Film Hustle, Alex Ferrari. And I'm going to be candid with you. I have never met someone who hustles as hard as Alex does. The amount of output that he manages to get done is just staggering. I just I just can't comprehend how much stuff he, he creates. Anyhow, beyond running a successful podcast show, he's just launched another podcast, And you have to listen to the end of this episode to hear all about that one. Anyway, beyond the podcast, he's created courses, he works in post-production, he directs web series, and much, much more. But he's recently completed another feature film about a group of hapless filmmakers who travel to the Sundance Film Festival to sell their film to a producer. The entire film was shot on location in Sundance during the Sundance Film Festival, And they shot it in only four days, which is crazy. It's called On the Corner of Ego and Desire. And this is coming off his other feature film called This is Meg, which got worldwide distribution and is being sold online through iTunes, Amazon, and Vimeo. Anyway, you'll hear Alex share what he learned from his experience of crowdfunding This is Meg, then self-distributing the film to eventually lead to foreign film sales, and finally how it all led to the making of his latest film On the Corner of Ego and Desire. It's a crazy tale, but one worth listening to as we explore everything that Alex learned along the way. I'm glad to have him back on the show. He's my friend, Alex Ferrari of Indie Film Hustle, here on the Film Trooper Podcast. Awesome. So nobody heard all this banter back and forth of you and I trying to get back onto Skype. Kind of rusty, like, wait, this is not turned on. Is this working? You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) But I want to know... um, it's been a while since we talked. At least it's it been has, a while since you had you on the podcast. Uh, last time yes. was the the feature film. This is Meg. During um, the, the during the launch. crowdfunding, crowdfunding, the crowdfunding stage. Of, yeah. of this is Meg. So yeah, it's over almost a year and a half now. Okay, cool. So th- let's just cut to the chase. Let's take what did you learn from this is Meg? The whole experience because it got mm-hmm. into CineQuest, right? Yes. Yes. So then. Um, the film festival experience, the you know getting it up on uh, iTunes and all those, you know, selling it, mm-hmm. um, and then leading to the next feature film. Um, mm-hmm. What's the title? On the corner, again? Ego? On, Ego? The, on the corner, on the corner of Ego and Desire, uh, which is which is a real street name, so or something. Which you guys tell. Kind of, I'll tell you how, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. how I came up with it afterwards. Okay, I'm going to sit back because I know you can talk, my friend. <laughs> so I, I don't have to do anything in this podcast other than go. Please divulge your experiences from this is Meg to the uh, the corner of ego and desire. So um, no, because I think sharing what you've you've done with the films in con- in connection with indie film hustle, and you know as we talked before, just interweave like lessons learned, like things that filmmakers could learn from your 
your venture out there, your experiences. I, I, so now I get to just kick back and just go, all right, Alex, <laughs> take it away. Talk, my friend. <laughs> well, my friend, first of all, thank you for having me back on the show. It is, it is a pleasure and honor to be back, sir. Um, I'm glad you're back as well because, you, you know, you're <laughs> off doing your thing. Uh, and I think the community does need you. And people always ask me, what happened to Scott? And I'm like, I don't know. He's off, you know, selling marijuana I think <laughs> in Oregon. Wait, now. I don't know. I got something really funny to tell you. So, like, you know, real quick, like, so it's been uh, coming up to a year since I got my real estate license. So, like, it's taken a year to get me to, to know how to do the job. And I haven't even done the fun part yet of, like, launching all the creative content stuff. But I didn't. But I've been really busy, honestly, with all this acting work up here mm-hmm. like i mm-hmm. just i've just been a really good year so literally this afternoon i had an audition um <laughs> and i walk in and the guy one of the producers running it, it's like hey i know you haven't we don't know each other but i'm a huge fan of film trooper you know <laughs> it's like so locally so it's like i don't know if I, I scored the deal or something like that but it's really it was great because uh we were just talking and and he was like, yeah, like, let me, how, it's really interesting what you're doing with the real estate thing and like knowing that you've been, you know, on the hiatus, but it was just fascinating to hear somebody who's been following me on this journey that I've been doing this audition and he's one of the producers. And so we're going to try to grab a beer later on, but I just thought it was an interesting tidbit that you brought that up. So yeah, we oh, have, yeah. we like, we have, t- like, I, I'm, I'm limping along a little bit in Film Trooper, but I um, hope to, you know just get back to the weekly podcast and that'd be great because we do have uh, several episodes coming out. So with that said, I will take a step back again and your turn. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. No worries. So, um, with this is Meg. Um, I learned that I really despise crowdfunding. (laughs) It's horrible thing. It is the most stressful, painful thing you could go through, even though we were a successful crowdfunded movie. Um, it was still very painful. So much work, so much time. I just don't like asking for money. It's just not something I'd like to do. I'd rather like, hey, I will sell you something. I will give you something of value to get money back. But um, I just didn't like it personally. Uh, but I went through it and I did it for the for the tribe. And, and I wanted to kind of take everybody step by step through that process. And we, again, we were a successfully crowdfunded movie, which was wonderful. It really was. Um, so the movie was done. We, uh, we went through Distribber uh, for self-distribution. We got into CineQuest. Uh, we got into uh, Buffalo, Niagara, and a few other film festivals as well. And um, the one mistake I think I made with that movie is I waited around too long for festivals. I should have been, I should have released it earlier, much, much earlier. Because even when you're about to say, "Okay, I'm going to go with this stripper," it, you're 90 to 120 days away from the mm. moment you say it's submitted, it's good. All the files have been taken care of. It's about 90 to 120 days before you get that thing released. For, for a distributor? So if, yeah, for, so for self-distribution. For self-distribution, so, it takes about, what, 100? What do you say again? How many days? About, 90, about three to four months. About three to okay. four months to actually get it released. And that's just the the, the red tape that you've got to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Not for through distributors because you have to deal with all these other platforms. Um, and you've just got to wait. Uh, so... That so by the moment I said okay I'm gonna do it, I had already been the movie had already been done for almost a year. So literally from the moment it got released, which was August of last year, I finished the movie in August of the year before. So it was literally 12 months sitting around waiting for festivals and other things like that to finally get it released. And I think I a lot of the hype and a lot of the um, uh, attention that I got for the movie early on. I didn't capitalize on as much as I should have. With that said, the movie still was financially successful. Um, we made, uh, we made, again, we were we walked in with the movie in the black because it was crowdfunded. Mm-hmm. So you know, we were we were good no matter what. But then we you know we were able to sell it uh, to Holt to uh, to Whole Foods to um, <laughs> to, uh, to Hulu uh, through Distributor. They pitched it for us and they accepted it, and that was a very nice payday. Again, no one's getting rich off this, yeah. um, but it's uh, but it was a nice payday. Then we were able to sign a deal for an international distribution, uh, which is someplace I just don't have. I mean, other than iTunes and Amazon International, I'm talking about like selling actual territories. Yeah, uh, and we were able to sell China and South Africa, and I think the UK as well. Uh, and those were nice checks that came in. Uh, and not to mention all the sales from iTunes and Amazon and Google Plus and all that stuff, uh, or Google Play. 
if you're going to self-distribute a movie, my my feeling is if you're going to spend money to go through the self-distribution route, there's only three things you need to submit to. Amazon, iTunes, and Vimeo. And that's it. Hmm. No other platform matters. Uh, Hulu, uh, for TVOD, for transactional yeah. video on demand. Uh, now, mind you, if you have a mo- if you have a movie that's all about gaming, PlayStation and Xbox is probably a good a good outlet for you. For my movie, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, no gamers are buying this as Meg <laughs> and watching it on Xbox. Yeah. it's just not happening. Uh, Fandango and all these other other platforms they're great, but don't waste your money. Um, the only two, the two biggest ones are iTunes, and Amazon. Period. Mm-hmm. Amazon, you could upload to yourself if you really wanted to, and Vimeo. You could do yourself as well. The reason why I say Vimeo is because Vimeo allows international sales. Mm-hmm. So if anybody around the world could just log into that website, pay the three ninety nine for rental or ten nine whatever the prices you put for sale, you can um, you can uh, use it and, and they and they can and they can watch it. Which was one big thing I, I learned afterwards because I had a lot of international fans that said it's not on iTunes here, it's not on Amazon. I want to watch the movie. Where can I go? Mm. Now there's also uh, VHX. You could do that as well with VHX and create your own little thing there. Um, but it, that's another. How, how did, that's an interesting question because isn't like did, did Vimeo just leave VHX alone? They, they are. They're incorporating them a little bit, but VHX is still VHX. It okay. didn't absorb it. Okay. They own them, but it, but but with the, what's cool about VHX is then you can like actually add like special features. You can add T-shirts and hats and. And you can package out certain things, signed posters that you can mail out. So you can package in um, real-world products uh, that you can sell with your movie as packages there, where you can't do that on any other platform uh, other than, like, Gumroad or something like right, that. But right. it's not nearly as pretty as yeah. VHX. VHX is really well put together. Um, you can create a membership site there. There's a bunch of stuff you could do there. But those are the only places I would go. Um and the, and and this is Meg is still making money. We're still within. The, I think at the end of this year, I think October, November, it will be off Hulu unless they want to renew, which I hope they do, um, which would be a great if they did. And um, but other than that, people are still asking me about it. People still discover it through Indie Film Hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's not a major revenue generator by any stretch, but again, it was a great learning experience and it got me off uh, off the couch. And made a movie. Yeah. Uh, and it proved to myself that I not only could I go out and make a movie that you know costs not barely anything to make, um, that but I was that I knew I could sell it to something like Hulu, you know, which was a very big you know badge of honor for me to say, hey, I made a micro budget film, we crowdfunded it, mm-hmm. and we made money with it, and we also released it on a major platform. That was a huge, huge, uh, you know, uh, proof of concept. For anybody who follows Indie Film Hustle to go, look, this is, it can't be done. Yeah, There's no question that it can't be done. Um, now, is that a business model that you can replicate multiple times? It can be. Um, but there's a lot of what ifs in that model. Um, you know, but if uh, we could talk about that later, but, mm-hmm. but that was the experience that I had with Meg and I, and I, I love the movie. I, I still love the movie. Um, she, you know, she's a great little movie that I was able to do. Uh, and again, prove to myself that I could go out and do it and also prove to everybody else that I'm, I'm not just talking the talk I'm walking the walk, yeah. which, you know, which is really helpful when, when you're building up an audience to go, Oh wow, this guy's actually doing it. That's why ego and desire came out of left field for everybody. Cause everyone's like, wait, wait, you made another movie. What? And I didn't even talk about it. Yeah. 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 I don't... Tell Well, let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about, um, how did that happen? So you, you know, you, you finished uh, this is Meg and all of a sudden this new movie pops up so how did the creation of that? Because it's you know it's finished. It's released. I saw it. It's great. So tell me tell me the the evolution of that and how that particular this particular project worked out. And what do you what do you going into the second time around going well? Because uh, you've made a lot of movies before, but now this yeah. is sort of the, this new world of like self distribution in terms of the advent of all these different uh, SVOD platforms you can put on. So what did you come to this mindset going into ego with? Well. With um, with on the corner of ego and desire, I was sitting around with uh my my buddy who um we do interviews at Sundance every year, because he has a condo there. It's a beautiful, crazy looking condo, at the bottom of Main Street, and uh, we have been there. Uh, this would be the second year that I would be coming in to do interviews with any film hustle, while we're hosting it there at his place, uh, and we we're just kind of figuring out, sitting down like a few months earlier. 
going, hey, you know, what are we going to do this year? You know, we got to do something bigger. You know, what can we do and all this kind of stuff? And then I literally just turned to him. I go, I think it would be irresponsible of us not to shoot a feature film this year at Sundance. <laughs> and and Adam, to his credit, goes, continue. And and I pitched this idea and we all kind of like start talking about it. And <clears throat> what came out of it was basically ego and desire. I want to make a movie about filmmakers making every mistake humanly known. I want to make it, this is a spinal tap for independent filmmakers. Because there isn't a, this is spinal tap for independent filmmakers. Um, and if, if there, well, I mean, you could you argue Living in Oblivion is, which is such an amazing movie. Um, the Player and all these other kind of movies as well. But I've never seen a movie about the make of, of selling a movie and, and the ridiculousness of going out there and selling a movie with a backdrop of, of Sundance. No one had ever shot a feature film at Sundance before because that's crazy. Who in their right mind would do something like that? <laughs> um, so uh, within a few months, I um, I wrote the scriptment, uh, which was written really quickly because I, I knew the story so well because I'm like, oh, I've heard this story a million times, you know, idiot filmmakers do something stupid and a lot of them was me you know a lot of a lot of the movie was me in there of stuff that i did back in the day at sundance you know chasing producers you know finding money you shouldn't have spent uh so far up your own ass as far as being a uh, uh you know pretentious and ego driven um and i just wanted to kind of make fun of that uh, fun of myself back in the day when i was like that but also every story i'd ever heard of so uh, we basically I, I hired um, three actors from New York because obviously there's no actors in Los Angeles. <laughs> so um, I decided to hire cast everybody in New York and um, it just worked out that way. And also all three of those actors, the main actors, none of them had been at Sundance before. So it was uh. really this brand new experience for them. And the way I pitched everybody, which basically was not a lot of people that worked on it. We had a sound guy. We had. Um, Kyle, who's my sound guy, Austin, who was the DP, camera op, and then myself, and then a buddy of mine named Straw, who was the most overqualified PA in, in history. Um, that was it. That was the core team. And we just ran around Sundance. But the way I pitched it to everybody, I'm like, hey, um, we're going. To, do you want to go to Sundance? Uh, you have a place to stay. We'll fly you in. Um, you know, you just have to work for a few days, and we're going to shoot a movie. And I promise you, you'll have a story for the next 20 years um, <laughs> that no one else will have at any party that you'll ever be at. And the, and that was basically like, you want to go on an adventure. Like, that was the pitch. Like, do you want to go on an adventure? And that's exactly what I did. And everybody, I, I, you know, and there was a bunch of actors here in L.A. that were coming in. Oh, I want to do it, but I can't. Uh, and some of them were scared to go do it. You know, I had some actors who, were like, literally were afraid of running, gunning, and and. In, in, in uh, on the streets, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna get arrested." I'm like, "Oh, you're definitely not the guy for me." Um, <laughs> you know, we need brave souls, and I got them. And and so we went and ran around for four days, and shot a movie, um, and uh, it was insane. It was the most insane thing I've ever done. I still, it's still a blur. It still seems like a dream. Everybody who was involved seems like it was a dream. No one really believes that we did it until I showed it to everybody. Uh, a few weeks after, a few weeks after we 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 well, a few weeks after we got home, uh, I was rushing for a festival deadline, so I finished all the posts within five weeks, and uh, that's the version you got to see, mm -hmm. and uh, and it was done. Sound, music, <laughs> color grading, uh, edited within ten days, uh, shot it raw. We shot it on the pocket camera, so it was really little. Um, the quality of the image was great. I was so happy with it. And the story is, as one um, one executive who saw it here in L.A. said, exquisitely heart-wrenching. <laughs> I think that summed um, it up, yeah. And you've seen this. So yeah. Think, yeah, it sums it up. Right? Exquisitely heart-wrenching because at the end of the day, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a creative, there are scenes in this movie that will rip your heart out um, while you're laughing. Yeah. Before and after. But those scenes are because they're real because they've happened to me. They've happened to people I know. Um, you know, you get so close to the dream and then it just gets ripped out of your hands. Things like that. And it's just a – it was – it's an experiment as well because I, I came up with the idea first. But then everything else kind of snowballed after that. So when I came up with the idea, I was like, well, 
this movie is as perfectly built for an audience as I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> you know, like this movie is built for my audience. It's built for the tribe. It's built for filmmakers. It's built for film students. It's built for cinephiles. It is just, you know, it's built perfectly for the niche audience. Mm-hmm. So I was like, interesting. So now I have that in it. I happen to be in the movie as well. Um, unfortunately, I have to be in the movie because I, I didn't have anybody else I can cast as the podcast host of Indie Film Hustle. <laughs> um, so I put so I put Indie Film Hustle in it as well because it's part of their journey. Yeah. Um, and 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 hopefully you saw you saw it. So hopefully yeah. it's not too overbearing or too. No, it's, God, it, no, no. It's very. I just try to get in, get out. I try not to put too much attention to myself. I cut myself out as much as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I let the actors, you know, take take over the scenes, which they definitely do. And um, and then I also cast um, R.B. Bato from Stage 32. Yeah, yeah. A good buddy of mine who uh, plays a, a pivotal character. And um, his story and how he... He agreed to do it right away, nice. but you know we're there. We're there at one thirty in the morning. He's had at least ten drinks in him. <laughs> That's why he looks so. <laughs> well, but he's perfect. Yeah, it was yeah. method. It was method. But he played it perfectly. He yeah. played it right, and it was exactly the time. So basically, in the movie, when I had him come, I I told him come here around this time, and I know how many drinks are going to be in you. <laughs> so you're going to be perfect for where the character needs to be at that time at the party at Sundance. So he was method. He was Dan- I was I call him he's doing the Daniel Day on it. <laughs> and he was completely method. And um and that's basically that's basically the the quick rundown of the movie and um when I saw it I was it's it's the it's the thing the, I'm the most proud of this than anything I've ever made. Nice. I absolutely love what I was able to accomplish. This movie has a lot more of me in it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like this is Meg had a lot more of Jill in it because it was her. She was a star. She was it's her life story. Yeah. It was really all her friends. Um, so I was there for the ride where this movie I feel is me. Like it, it's my my sensibilities are spilling off the screen um, without question. Um, and as as perfect representation of who I am as an artist and who I am as a director and a writer as I am right now. So uh, the movie currently has uh, is in the hunt for festivals mm-hmm. we're gonna go after some major festivals because i'm i think this film deserves that opportunity um i know i'm I, you know delusional some of the festivals my um in hey, well, my on. judgment hold on and, real quick, and not real only quick. because i'm the- sorry skype awesome skype like you that last segment just got corrupted. Like he went, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> say what you said sure. again. <laughs> Which from what part? Just right after saying, like you know, the, the film deserves to have a shot at uh, being submitted to some of these festivals, like to give it the uh, opportunity. But after that, you were talking about like okay. you have no delusions. But I heard it got corrupted. So, yeah. got it. Um, but I also have no delusions about what uh you know these festivals that we're submitting to some of these are the biggest film festivals in the world but Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give it a shot because i do believe that this little film might have a shot in my professional judgment not just because i'm the writer director and not because i'm delusional and acting like the characters in my movie um which i which it's a joke you know i told my producer i was like oh we're submitting to this and this and this and he's like you know you're acting like julia the main character every movie i'm like i know i know but it's educated it's an educated guess i'm gonna try to so, um, so I'm submitting to those first, um, which is heartbreaking because believe me, I want to get this movie out tomorrow. Yeah. I really want to get it out into the world, but I, I, I know I can do that at any time and I know my audience will be waiting for it when it comes out Yeah, because anyone I've ever even spoken to about this, uh, they just go, stop it, take my money. Yeah. Just stop it, take my money. Cause just based on the, Hey, we shot a movie about, uh, we shot a movie at Sundance, Sundance. About, about filmmakers film- trying to sell a movie at Sundance where they're searching for a producer who's supposedly going to buy their movie. Oh, and by the way, their movie is absolutely the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of. <laughs> um, which I'll pitch the movie right now. It's Shape of Water meets E.T. with Transformers drizzled on top. Shot in black and white in slow-mo. So, uh, <laughs> so that is the movie that they're pitching, uh, this producer that they're chasing down at Sundance. Uh, um, but also, I-, I wanted to make the movie as a love letter not only to Sundance because Sundance is um, 
she is a very tough um uh what's the word She's a tough lover. <laughs> she's, she's always pretty. She's always like, oh, come over, come over, come over. No, you can't get in. Um, and it's been like that, I think, for most filmmakers because we all submit to her. Um, and she she just she says no to most of us. So I wanted to kind of do a love letter to the experience of Sundance. Um, uh, the movie is not about getting into Sundance or anything like that. Sundance is a backdrop. She's a character in the movie. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sundance itself is a character in the movie. Park City is a character in the movie, and I wanted to create that kind of um, love letter to to Sundance. Hopefully, it'll get me in. I don't know, but if it does, great. If it doesn't, no big deal. Um, I'm used to it. <laughs> but uh, but also, I wanted to create um, not only, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but an educational allegory of what not to do as filmmakers, because I think that you know. You watch Spinal Tap, and I'm sure there was a lot of musicians that saw Spinal Tap like, oh, wow, we, whoa, we're really crazy, aren't we? Right, um, right, and right. I think that's, <clears throat> and I wanted to kind of do that for filmmakers to a certain extent. And in a space of, or in the process of filmmaking where I really hasn't been seen on film. Have you ever seen a movie about trying to sell a movie um, or chasing a producer to sell a movie? It's always about the making of a movie or trying to get the movie made. Yeah, yeah. But never about the selling of it. Because selling of it is generally not the sexy part. Yeah. The um, only thing but I, with the Sundance as a backdrop. The only thing that comes close might be um, um, Seduce and Abandon with Alec Baldwin on HBO. They had a documentary. But that was always – there was a Cannes Film Festival and they were trying That's to the, sell. They were they, at the beginning part. They hadn't they hadn't made a film a doc, yet. Though, yeah, it was a doc, doc and yeah. they were just trying to raise money. So – Right. Actually, that's a great segue because you watch that film to see what it is to try to get a movie made slash get money made with 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 act like real actors, real actors. Real... But then your film is great because it's like you made the film, and then I haven't been to Sundance, but just just again the geographic locale. Like I didn't even think about things like you have a whole segment, a scene of like these <laughs> massive amount of stairs, and you have to remember. You, I didn't think about it. It's the thin air. Like how do people oh, yeah. handle it? So it's like all that stuff was in there, and it was great. I was like, wow! Like I, it's bec- there's landmarks in there that it's like I don't think I've ever seen in anything before. So it was really great, great. It was it, to see sort of the geographic layout and how people navigate it during the film festival. What's funny to me is that I can't believe no one's ever done this. <laughs> like I really, I really don't get why because it's such. I mean, it's such a beautiful little town. And during Sundance, it's insane. There's 100,000 people there. So it's like, it's insanity. And, you know, when I did it, I get it. Um, It is kind of nutty. But I can't believe no one has ever thought about making a movie with the Sundance Film Festival as a backdrop. Or Park City during the Sundance Film Festival Mm -hmm. as a backdrop. Because it's just, it's so much free uh, production design. <laughs> I, I had, I had, I had a cast of thousands of extras. You saw them. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I had cars everywhere. I had, you know, restaurants. I had, you know, everywhere you would go, I had people in it. So the production value is insane. There's a scene in F- Sundance Festival headquarters. Yeah. We literally are in the belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and I'm like sitting there. It took me to I think it was day three where I realized that, oh, my God, we're, we're absolutely crazy because I saw <laughs> some behind the scenes footage of, of, of me shooting a scene on Main Street with literally two, three hundred people around us. <laughs> uh, and I'm going, oh, my God, we're nuts. We're nuts. So it was it's such a great experience. And again, it's, it was so fast that it doesn't seem real. I don't feel mm-hmm. like I've ever left. Sometimes. I was literally just finishing up the edit before you called because now we're finalizing the final 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 cut like i you know cut down a couple yeah, yeah. minutes here and there um we were waiting for some music cues to come in um but you, what you saw was pretty much 95 percent of Got what it. the movie yeah. you know so it was submitted to a festival the way you saw it i gotcha i gotcha now it's crazy it's because like you said it's you know you and i with our experiences um running the podcast and the websites you know with you with indie film hustle with myself with film trooper and with this you know, coming from, like you said, I love your your uh, analogy when you talk to guests of the same vintage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are of the same, same vintage. vintage. So the, 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 it's funny because we've, you know, 
a lot of times when we think back, a lot of a lot of filmmakers will put all everything they they will bleed for this film that they're making, and but they're writing on it like everything depends right. like this making it and those heartbreaking stories of people out there have like mortgages yeah. their house or mm-hmm. you know, ran up credit cards or things or like steal, that or still mom's retirement money. oh yes there you go i didn't <laughs> want to give it away but there you go okay. oh no it's, it's, it's in yeah. the description okay it's <laughs> <laughs> so um but it's funny hearing you talk about this film there's not that air of desperation like this film has to be the thing that's going to make or break things because you've you you and I have learned some other things about the way the world works in terms of and also the the new ways of filmmaking that it's uh this is a really nice complement to everything you built at indie film hustle so give me a little bit more of sort of an interesting sort of i guess a vintage perspective of you know filmmaking when you're the young person thinking that everything has old to far, ride old, on this old yeah far perspectives yeah. old far perspectives got it <laughs> old far perspectives so um I think that's one thing I learned with Meg where I I did not associate any outcome. I did not attach an outcome to the process, which is something I've never done. Anything I've ever done was always, this is it. This is my, you know, paranormal activity. This is the one that's going to blow me up. Um, And I kept doing that for 20 odd years. And I finally we just realized I'm like, that's just not a good business plan. You know, <laughs> let's just try to make a movie you enjoy making. I have no associate. I have nothing attached to the outcome of this movie, but I know instinctually that this film will pay off dividends for years mm-hmm. to come years to come. This movie will do things for me that I can't even understand yet. Um, do I think it's going to blow me up now? Do I think it's going to be a runaway hit? I don't know. It'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, it is a niche movie, but it is a niche. The niche that I've, I've picked is the film industry, mm-hmm. which is my place. So just like, um, living in oblivion, when he made that movie, that's not a broad movie. Like not everybody knows about living in oblivion, but people in the industry know about living in oblivion. And I'm sure. And I know for a fact, after he made that movie, he did, go off to do other things and build a career around it um i don't know what will happen with this all i know is i wanted to make a really fun movie that hopefully helped people had a message made people think um and hopefully just made them laugh a little bit here and there at themselves um because i think we all have to laugh at ourselves a bit um but the old fart perspective is that um as you get older you're not as desperate Mm-hmm. I don't have any desperate energy anymore. I, I'm not like, ah, ah, ah. you know, I used to live in that world where, you know, you go to a Hollywood party and they smell that coming <laughs> from a mile away where now I don't have that. Not because I'm rolling in money or I'm doing everything I want to do. It's I just changed my perspective on things. I changed the way I, my outlook on life and my outlook on my career, my outlook on what I do um, is completely different. And I've noticed a change in my world because of the change, that specific change. Because people don't want to be around desperate people. Mm-hmm. People want to be around confident people. People want to be around um, strong people who are not just like, I need this, I need this, I need this. Do you think, you know, I hate to use the term like James Cameron. James Cameron's not desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got $500 million on each of those Avatar features. I think he's, I, I don't know what he is. But but when you get to that level, and believe me, I'm not comparing myself to them in any way, stranger. But those guys don't feel that that desperation. They haven't for a long time. So I think that's one of the big mistakes that filmmakers do make is that I need I, you know when they see they meet. I'm sure you've had had it happen. Mm-hmm. Like you're at a festival, they come to you because they listen to you. They're like, oh, Scott's gonna be the one who's gonna gonna connect me to the right guy and get me money for my movie. And you're like. What are you talking about? I don't even have money for my movie. Um, and that happens to me all the time. I get emails like, help me with my movie. I'm like, hello? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the uh, our experiences or like more specifically your experiences of seeing what's happening in the, in the indie film community in terms of pain points when you first started and where you are now. Or have you seen a shift in terms of education or uh, an overall sort of like – are the same pain points when you start in the indie film hustle, the same pain points people have now after, 
how many years and how many episodes that you have out there and all the courses that you you know offer and things like that. I'd be curious to hear sort of like a perspective of like, you know what I've noticed about the indie, indie film community is this, you know? I think the biggest thing um, that, in all honesty, I don't think a lot has changed um, in, in the sense of what the pain points are. The pain points are still, I need to go get find money. I need to make a movie. The education of how to actually make a real story, tell a real story, make a real movie, and then the story of how to sell it. Those are the those are the big pain points. Um, but the I think the thing that's changing is that smart filmmakers are starting to figure out. I need to build an audience. I need to I need to go out there and do, do this myself. I need to become an entrepreneur. Those guys are starting to come out little more by little more. But that's a lot of work. So that thins the herd really mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, from the guy who's like, oh, I just want to make a movie and go to a, a distributor to the guy who's like, I'm here for the next five years. I'm going to build up an audience. I'm going to sell movies to that audience. I'm going to do a Lloyd Kaufman, you know, with what yeah. he did with Roma um, and, and and just kind of p- take my time, build up my audience, make my movies and, and keep and keep going forward with it. Um, those those guys are very few and far between. Um, but when you find them, you see that they're super successful. They, they're making a lot of money. They're making half million, million, two million dollars a year. I've had them on my show. Um, I hope to be that person soon. <laughs> uh, but but um, I think that's the biggest change is I see I start seeing now a few more filmmakers doing that hard work. But that takes so much education, so much experience, so many things you have to do, trial and error to get to that point um, to be be able to build that audience up and that's a lot of time that's basically a lot of things people don't want to do it's work it's hustle and people don't <laughs> want to do that they want the oh i just want to g- give me a check i'll go make my movie let someone else deal with it and that's great if you're at that point in your career where a studio is coming and giving you money and they're handling everything and you can just be an artist that is awesome i can't even comprehend that uh as a filmmaker right now because i've been in the trenches for such a long time um, I can't even understand that world as as well as as those guys can't understand my world. Yeah, you know, I've I've shown this movie to actual working television directors and feature film directors, and when they watch it, you could see that the eyes they're just like deer in headlights. They don't get like how did you do that? Like they don't understand like how did you? What did you do? Yeah, like how did you actually physically do that for the money that you did it for? Like I don't understand, and it's fascinating to watch. You know, it's, I'm sure Mark Duplass and Jay Duplass have to go through this all the time. Yeah. You know, like how do you do it? And now they've kind of set the standard for that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, it's 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 very interesting. But as far as the pain points are concerned, I that I think those are still the pain points, man. I need to go find money, which is great. It's kind of like I need to go, I need to go, um, uh, you know, buy a Lamborghini. Well, you don't. First of all, you can't afford the gas for it. Mm-hmm. You have no understanding of how to drive that Lamborghini. You're going to total it probably within the first day. Um, but that's the thing. Like, oh, I need that in order to do this. Well, that's the thing. I need money to make a movie. I'm like, do you know even how to make a movie? Yeah. Before someone's going to give you a million bucks, you need to prove that you can actually make a movie, tell a story, and then you've got to prove if you're at a certain level, can you sell the movie? Can you? Do you have the team around you that can help you sell the movie? It's just it's such a complex beast you know, uh, what we do. It, there's so many moving parts. Yeah. And it's hard to find someone who understands all of them at a, at, at a certain level. They don't have to be a master at every, every part of it, but to be educated in every part is, is crucial in today's world. Interesting. It's interesting. You brought up that, like you mentioned that the, uh, that the herd sort of thins out for those who are very, very serious. And it's like this weird, like funnel of, all these people are very, very interested in the filmmaking process. You know, um, you know our friend Jason Brubaker of filmmaking stuff. Um, he, he mentioned too. It's like you know when you do the searches for uh, filmmaking, and the subset of searches are like uh, cameras, screenwriting, mm-hmm. and acting. Like those always have like the highest like searches on the on online. And it's it is interesting because that's always like the beginnings part of the aspirational aspect mm-hmm. of filmmaking, which is why when you go on YouTube. Anybody showing you how to do anything with some piece of equipment has so many views, you know, because right. everybody's like the hero's you, journey, tons, ton of views. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like self distribution. 
not yeah, much. right. Because well, by the time somebody gets through that the, the arduous process of making the film on their own, and when they're finished, a lot of them just wanted to have a movie they finished. They're so tired that they're not that and they broke. ask and broke, and that they don't have that aspect of or this this the that extra uh, gear, the energy to say, okay, now let's start really uh, selling this and marketing it, and um, and then when they look at it, it's like you know what. I think a lot of people that I meet, they all are like filmmakers in a sense that they run some production company that they get hired by a ad agency. So the ad agency needs mm-hmm. a, a, they create the copy, they create the creative, but they need a production company to run it. So most of the people I work with are these skilled technicians that can, you know, shoot, you know, web spots, commercials, things like that. Mm-hmm. But on the side, they always have some creative process, pro, um, you know, project they're working on it's like on the side they have this short film and this feature film that they're their their crew of guys that they make stuff with that they're gonna get it out there but they're they make their they make their money by by getting hired on these commercial you know gigs and it's it's fascinating from that perspective because like i said my heard or like has been thinned out for the people who really resonate with sort of this message that i have kind of stumbled upon which is like Wow, wait a minute. The film really isn't what you what people are making the money on. It's like what the film represents. It's lunchboxes. Yeah, 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 right. It's like uh, you know, I I, for the for the more crass people, we talked about it before. It's like you know, your film is an advertisement for something more expensive, and the the true artists hate that. So they the new what I tell them, it's like, well, your film is an amplifier for a bigger message. So that way, it's you know. Well, that's some politically correct BS right there. I love that. Well, it's, but, it, but it actually it's kind true. of yeah, it's but it kind true. of works. But the, the words are just so like, look, man, you're selling something else. You know, that's where the money is. Yeah, but, yeah. But I love the way you packaged it. It's beautiful. Well, it's funny because well, I people were like the the uh, the pushback on it. Like I hate the word advertisement. So I wasn't like going, oh, you know what? Well, let's think. Let's let's help you look at it a different way. If you really are like want your message of your film to go bigger then the film that you make is really just an amplifier for because there's something else beyond that and then we bring it we bring in the in the whole like examples like um fat sick and nearly dead joe cross's film about the juicing um you know his film was a, a springboard for a movement but it sold he gives it, away. he gives it away he gives it away but he he basically advertises or amplifies this need for healthy living but you know he sold so many juicers for breville and that they partner up with them for the sequel. So that's like the the glowing example, or Food Matters is another glowing example. And then for the, but for us, it's interesting because, like I said, of our old guys, our vintage, we have mm-hmm. this different perspective of the films because we don't hold on to them preciously because we see that it has other value that is going to springboard other things from it. And like you said, your film of the corner of ego and desire is so, like you said, is so perfectly. F- slotted for the indie film hustle tribe and followers mm-hmm. of indie and i can't think of anything like that is like quintessential like holy crap that that is perfect it's so perfect i, I you know what it, it is it is as perfect of a movie to for an audience as i've ever seen it really is that's why i feel so comfortable with it and so confident in it because i'm like all i gotta tell you is like we shot a movie at sundance about filmmakers trying to sell a movie at sundance would you watch that of course, <laughs> I would. I, I would. I would hunt down that movie. I would personally hunt down that, that movie if I wasn't. If I wasn't the director of it, I watch it. I want to rent it. I got to hear about it. And and then of course, if you have a course on how I made it, and you're a filmmaker, like how did they make that movie? Oh, there's a course for twenty bucks yeah. or fifty bucks. Oh, I, I want to see that. I'm like, I want to see how he was able to do everything that they did. Um, and then there might be a book. On the making of it, kind of like Rebel Without a Crew style. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be going out other places. The stuff that I have lined up for this movie is going to be insane. Um, but it's all going to be there for to being of service to helping filmmakers on their journey, uh, but hopefully educating them, not only educating, but entertaining them along the way. Oh, yeah. and I forgot to tell you about the on the corner of Ego and Desire, how I got, came up with the name, was <laughs> where we walked out, we walked out of our, our condo and that year of 2018, um, Sundance put words around everywhere, banners and like, you know, uh, you know, hustle and all these kind of words everywhere uh, and then translated them in different languages as well. So they were just all over the place. And literally when we walked out of our, our, our condo, 
we literally were staying on the corner of ego and desire. And I literally looked up. I'm like, oh, we're on the corner of ego and desire. Hey, that's a really cool name. Hey, maybe we should call the movie that. And it just stuck. There you go. It was it was it was literally meant to be. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, it's, it's funny because you talked about like uh, filmmakers, the ones that are really, really serious about they understand like the bigger picture and they understand that the need to build an audience or serve an audience, you know, mm-hmm. and then but it's also like picking the right audience. Like you said, like the indie film hustle tribe are independent filmmakers. Yeah. So you're like, I will give you a film that serves this audience and I give you a film plus all the other stuff that you just mentioned because this is for these this audience. And it's it's interesting because uh, you know as I'm you know you know switching gears a little bit with uh, the real estate stuff and, and the content I'm creating is for I have to I'm I'm basically starting from scratch of going I have to build an audience that would be interested in things that would be relate to um, you know selling homes and buying homes you know it's really interesting because it's right. it, it, but it's you know it's a, it's starting from scratch I have to but I'm learning applying the techniques that we've learned to to build up an audience in that that respect and um you know i i can't just easily translate a filmmaking audience to like bunch buy a bunch of homes in oregon you know (laughs) you know know what i mean it doesn't quite work that way not so much yeah yeah so but i i find it interesting for those who might be listening because like you know somebody might have interests in like the horror genres or the sci-fi genre so it's like you know like you said is um not everyone of the of that people that are interested in those genres are always interested in the filmmaking process. They may always like to see a little, a little bit how you made the film, but they're not like, mm-hmm. you know, overly enthusiastic. But if you get into some other topics and other bonus features or things that you add to your, your film uh, that really resonate with that audience, uh, that niche audience, then you, you should do well or do better than the average indie filmmaker. <laughs> so. It all depends on it all depends on what your um your output was, what the cost was, the ROI on your investment. You know, if you spent if I spent $300,000 on this movie, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm not you know, I, I it, we made the movie for less than $300,000. Um but the thing is like you can't do that. It doesn't make sense financially to do that. So but at the budget level that we did it at, it makes absolute it makes the most sense in the world. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to to be able to do this because look, I'm still making money off the short film I shot in 2005. <laughs> I literally every day am making some money off that still. Even if it's pennies, but it's still pennies. You know, it is it's fascinating the lifespan of these movies. If you do them right, if you do everything correctly, um it, it can live on for for a long time. And mm-hmm. and one thing I wanted to kind of a touch on because you said you know, oh, you know, I hate. There was some filmmakers like, oh, I don't like the word advertising. I'm like, well, there was a book that there was a guest I just had on my show uh, named Jeff Goins, uh, who wrote a book. Oh, Jeff, real, yeah, yeah. How'd you, real art. Hey, wait a minute, how'd that end up? How'd you get Jeff on there? <laughs> yeah. I, I reached out to Jeff and I said, okay. "You want to be on the show?" He yeah, goes, yeah, All right, yeah, sure. yeah. Is he still in Tennessee? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a book called "Real Artists Don't Starve," and that. That's this whole mentality that artists have to be this poor, broke thing where in reality, that's not the case. That Da Vinci was a multimillionaire <laughs> back in the day. And, you know, there's so many artists that, yeah, the Van Goghs of the world, the die penniless. It's so romantic. I don't want to be that romantic. I want to be I want to be able to sustain myself, put food on the table for my family and continue to create art for the rest of my life. And if that means um understanding the business side of show business well hell that's what i'm gonna do as uh as my buddy suzanne Lyon says uh the word show and the word there's a word show in the show word business and the word business has twice as many letters as the word show Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for it it's so so true so anyone listening out there who's like oh but i'm a true artist i'm like well you're gonna be a broke artist you know and that's there's nothing romantic there's nothing cool about it i'm not saying you gotta sell your soul to the devil but you've got to understand how to be able to make commerce with your art. If not, you won't survive. That's just straight up reality of the world. You have to create art and you have to understand how you're able to sell that art to maintain yourself. If you make a piece of art for a penny and sell it for two, great. If you can sustain yourself and continue to do that, great. But don't be afraid of money. Don't be afraid of you know, revenue from your art because if you are, you will not survive. And, yeah. And any art form it's interesting because you know you 
bring that up it's in terms of you might have success like you know like okay i made a product for x amount of dollars we were able to sell and make our money back plus profit because you know mm-hmm. it's funny in the world of indie filmmaking like if you just made your money back you're considered successful <laughs> in the old days yeah it, it, i mean but seriously we're the we're we're the, the craziest business in the world we actually invest money in a product that we have no idea how much we're going to sell it for like if you're gonna make a bottle of olive oil, if I may go back, <laughs> back to my older days, if you're gonna make a bottle for of olive oil, you go, okay, the bottle costs this much, the oil costs this much, the cork costs this much, the wrapper costs this much, and the printing on the bottle costs this much, and the shipping of all of that costs this much. So now my product cost is two dollars and seventy-five cents, and now I could sell that same bottle for twenty-five dollars. That is a good profit margin. That was a fantastic profit margin. That's what I said to myself when I opened up my olive oil store. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of work. But but that's a that's a product that you could sell. Let's say I could sell it for ten dollars. There, that's a product. So let's say okay, I'm going to put a hundred thousand dollars in this movie. You don't know what the product's going to be worth. It is the craziest. Every other business in the world, you know what you're going to. For the most part, other than the artistic arts. Um, you know what the end product is going to be worth. So you, so the only way you kind of hedge your bets is with cast, with genre, um, and and like history of what is sold before. It's the weirdest thing. And houses to a certain extent are like that too. You put $200,000 into a house based on what the comps are in the neighborhood. You can go, well, every other neighbor, every other house, there hasn't been a house that's sold in this neighborhood for less than 275 mm-hmm. So I'm going to put mine up for 300 because it's brand new, and I might be able to get maybe three, 325 for it. Um, but again, but that's still – you still have like a, a very educated yes. guess. Yes. Very educated guess. Yes. A lot unless of market the, data, yeah. Yeah, and unless the market crashes right in the middle of your construction, that's the only time that your product's going to be worth less. But the business, the movie business, you have no idea. So the key for me is make the movies for as little as humanly possible, depending on what you're trying to do. If I'm going after a genre, if I'm going after making specific, I'm going to go make a ton of money. Then I'll go hire certain actors. I'll go to a certain genre. I'll put $100,000, $200,000 into it because I know with this actor, I can pre-sell overseas and get X amount of dollars for it and so on. Um, a movie like this that has no stars in it, that is very niche. I've already shown it to a couple people that are in the industry, and they're just like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know where to go with this. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. You have yeah. no idea. <clears throat> you have no idea what I'm doing, and yeah. it's it's clueless to them. They are clueless to what I'm doing with Ego and Desire. Yeah. The only way that that will transcend that is if it gets into a big festival, or we get a couple of champions like you know IndieWire or. A bit, you know, someone big comes in, or like the Duplass brothers wants to executive produce it because they saw it. Yeah, and yeah, and they want to do. It. Then all of a sudden, it transcends where I am right now. It's the same product, but you see how crazy that is. Because maybe somebody else comes in who who has a reputation, and like, oh well, they know what they're doing, and their names will help sell it. Boom! It's a it's a crazy business, man. That's actually it's a really good point when you just brought that up. It's just the the, the aspect of the champion. I think that's yep. like one of the one of the most significant things to have for any artist, and if you, it's true. If you look back in the his, history of like these great artists, there was always this like shadow person, like the partner that was the champion or a business aspect to it. Um, I mean, Walt Disney comes to mind because his brother Roy ran the business. I mean, because you know Walt's first business was bankrupt. When you know until his brother got involved, that they start right. making better choices, and so he had this champion behind that. Um, and you mentioned like you know um, I was look- I, I was gonna say well there's fist first uh, fist first footway or I forgot the name of this the movie Danny McBride yeah. Danny McBride yeah. one of his yeah. first films yeah uh, th- those guys in North Carolina they made this little hilarious film about you know he runs a taekwondo st- uh, taekwondo yeah. studio <laughs> it was like you know it's really poorly shot in terms of like 16 mil or something it was yeah. it was just really grainy but. Adam and Kay and Will Ferrell, they started their company, Gary Sanchez Productions, right at the right time. They saw this movie in a festival, thought it was hilarious. They became the champions. They put their names yep, on done. it. Boom, done. done. These, and Danny McBride is off, you know, making and running. Crocodile Dundee, you know, things like that. Right. So, Well, I mean, but you look at, on a director standpoint, Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. We always use Robert El Mariachi. 
his champion was his agent. That agent, who happened to be a very powerful agent, was the one who pushed it around town. Without him, Mariachi goes straight to the to the Spanish uh, video aisle, which is where it was supposed to go in the first place. Clerks, if it wasn't, and I know this is not PC right now, but if it wasn't for Harvey back in the day, you know, Harvey was the champion of, of Kevin Smith and Clerks. And even after he went off and did Mall Rats and died after he did Mall Rats, Harvey's the one that gave him a hundred thousand bucks to go make Chasing Amy. Yeah, and a champion, regardless of what a piece of crap he is. But at yeah. that point, he was. But he was a champion for that. Um, well, I was going to mention Oren Pelly from uh, Paranormal Activity. If you yeah. listen to his story in my podcast, like just by chance, he had this champion that was with DreamWorks, and when DreamWorks yep. split with Paramount, <laughs> and this guy stayed with Paramount, he was the champion to help get this. Um, you know, uh, this film going still that, I mean, cause Orin sat there for a year, not knowing what was going to happen. The film existed for over a year or two years. Yep. It just took, it took all these things to line up and the right champions in place to say, boom, let's make this thing happen. And that's the thing with, with you always have to find that champion every behind every success, magical lottery ticket story that you hear of. There's a champion. There is a champion, whether it's a festival that's a champion of, 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 a, of a certain thing like Joe Swansburg. Mm-hmm. Joe Swansburg, you know, with who the festival behind him was South by Southwest. When South by Southwest stamped their approval on him, all of a sudden him and a whole group of other filmmakers got opportunities that wouldn't have happened without South by Southwest. They wouldn't have just been filmmakers making their their, you know, video movies. You know, that looked horrible and sounded horrible <laughs> because I was mumblecore at the time. Yeah. Um, but because someone said, hey, these guys are doing some cool stuff. So you've got to look for someone like that. And it, look, you can't. It, it's lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it is. You can't. It's lightning in a bottle. You can't. But there are people, there are tastemakers in the world that if you create a certain product and you catch it at the right place at the right time, lightning can hit you. And it does happen, but it's rare. Will it happen with On the Corner of Ego and Desire? I have absolutely no idea. That is plan Z. Yeah. Plan A, plan B, and plan C are what I'm doing, things that are within my control. Yeah. That's all I can do. And I can try to get it in front of as many eyes in the business as I possibly can and try to get it seen by as many people that could possibly be champions of the movie as, as much as I can. But at the end of the day, it is out of my hands. I cannot control that. I just can't. So once you release that into the world and just go, you know what? What's going to be? It's going to be. And I'm going to do what I have control of. You know, I can build up my audience. I can create, um, you know, create buzz around the movie. I can self-distribute this movie. I can submit it to film festivals. Submitting it to film festivals is all I can do. I can't. I can't guarantee that you know, a big festival is going to accept it or not. Yeah. I think the best thing about, as we wrap this up, the, the takeaway of everything you said is that you came from a, an earnest place from this, which is like, this is me. Like this is, I would love just to have a fun, like lighthearted way of sharing these stories, but it's poignant, you know, in mm-hmm. this movie. And because it's coming from a true place and then you do have a, a true respect and desire to help other filmmakers. So, there's this connection to all that stuff that is fantastic because I've done things before in the past where I'm thinking like you you'll know if you go down this path of like well what audience should I build up or what audience should I serve and if you pick an audience that you really don't have a connection with you won't last that long <laughs> you won't because you're like right, you know no, I know that right. I know I can make a film like right whatever like zombie films are popular now so I'll just make a zombie film and I'll serve a zombie audience but you realize down the path like I don't really like zombies. You're not going to last that long. So it's one of those things. It's like I've gone down that path to starting up projects where I stop and go, I maybe not, I may not have as much connection to this audience that I think I do. And I got to stop because I don't think I'm going to last, you know, and you got to pivot and change and go and find that true place of like, I just like making movies about these things. And I really like talking to people about these types of movies or this audience, you know, that is interested in this topic or subject matter. And if you can find that, then you'll be okay. Like you said, and then if you do good work within that true space there, that champion could emerge, you know, like that lightning bottle could show up. So I mean, look, if clerks shows up today, we'll never hear of Kevin Smith. And he knows it. And Kevin Smith he, will be the first one to tell you like, it never Robert happened Rodriguez, today. 
Yeah. Robert Rodriguez shows up today with El Mariachi. No, no one cares. Nobody cares. If if Slacker shows up today with Richard Linklater, no one gives nobody a shit. cares. No one cares. It was that moment in time, right place, right time, right product, and that is something you can't plan for. All you could do is be authentic to who you are as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. Tell the stories you want to tell at the time you want to tell them, and. Sometimes they'll hit. Sometimes they might be early. Sometimes they might be late. Sometimes they're just not involved at all in the process. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but you just you can't drive yourself nuts because guys of our vintage did that for many years, uh, driving themselves nuts mm-hmm. over that. Trying to, at least for me, I tried to crack that code. So for years, decades, figuring out like how did they do it? What did they do? And and and, and st- that's why I know all the stories by heart of how they all got in because I studied all of their stories. I'm like, how they get in? How they get in? How they get in? As opposed to me just going, oh, well, why don't I just make a movie that I really like and yeah. put it out in the world and see what happens? Wow, what a concept! Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that's kind of and that's kind of where I'm going with it right now. Very cool. All right. Well, any other information besides just going to Indie Film Hustle, or is there there's a specific like uh, website that you built for it? So I'll I'll, I'll do all the plugs now. Go um, ahead. I'm sitting back. Plug time. Go for it. All right. So <laughs> IndieFilmHustle.com, if you haven't uh, been there, it's a great resource for filmmakers. Um, we do the podcast there. We also just launched a brand new podcast called the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast. What? Because I – you is, know I, that. I, I, I'm just kidding. I was like, did <laughs> Alex Ferrari too? Did your clone do this? <laughs> so uh, we have another podcast because you were talking about different segments of your audience. Yeah. I discovered that's that screenwriters don't really want to know about self-distribution. So I created a whole um, a whole sub-genre, a whole sub-brand of indie film hustle called the bulletproof screenplay so created a new podcast for that that's at uh, screenwritingpodcast.com and uh desire if you want to see the trailer okay wait, the wait, teaser wait. trailer out right now i'm going to create a, a story trailer in a little bit no no sorry skype again like i don't know like it got okay. hosed so go back to you just finished this the screen uh plug the website again for bulletproof screenplay and then go into ego and desire uh, okay go so if you if you want to subscribe to Bulletproof Screenplay, just go to screen, uh, screenwritingpodcast.com. And if you want to check out uh, Ego on the corner of Ego and Desire, uh, just go to egoanddesirefilm.com. That takes you to a site that has where we're going to be putting all of our information, all the things that we're going to be doing with Ego and Desire, which is going to be a lot of stuff. If you want to know how we made it, what we did, all that information is going to be coming up as well. And I just released a, a brand new course which I know you know uh, my my instructor, Suzanne Lyons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I partnered up for the most amazing independent film producing course ever called Indie Film Producing Masterclass with Suzanne Lyons. And it's normally her – that's a workshop she used to do. cost 2500 bucks to, to go to that workshop, and we have it out now for 90 bucks Online. Uh, and, online yeah. and it's five and a half hours, six hours, plus all the paperwork, contracts, uh, guild paperwork, um, business proposals, all in Word and in PDF, so you can just grab it as templates uh, and use them yourself. So it, it's so that that alone, she told me, was worth like twenty five grand. Yeah. Just all the po- all all the all the paperwork from attorney fees and stuff. Um, so you can go to producingmasterclass.com for that. So that's enough plugging. I could I have many more things that I could plug, but that will be enough for today. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Awesome. Look at this. Hit an hour. Pros at it, right? No, I was kidding. That's it. It's only an hour. Come on, you know we could talk for another. Two I know, three. I know. We're good, but <laughs> I think the audience is like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but thank you, as always. And again, man, do keep doing what you're doing here, at Film Trooper, brother. We need we need you out there, man. There's, I'm telling you, every time I'm out at an event or something like that, people do bring you up. <laughs> so people bring I'm like, what happened to Scott? I used to listen to you, Scott, and and Buff, Jason Buff of Film Phil Academy and Indie Film Academy, and and Buff, Buff, Buff. I think Buff just fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> we love him, but I think he's off doing other stuff right now. We'll have to send uh, but him. But you, we have to send him. We have to send him message, this. Yeah. Send him this podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, call his ma- his monkey ass out. Do some more interviews, son of a bitch. Um, but no, you seriously got. I know you want to go sell houses and make millions of dollars and shit. But there's people who need you out here too. So keep up the work with Film Trooper, man. You do. You're doing God's work, sir. Ah, thank you. Well, again, like you, you know, the plan is I've just. Because my philosophy for Film Trooper is that your film is an amplifier for something else, is mm-hmm. or it's an advertisement for something else, um, I needed to create that something else. I didn't, you know, and just selling other, you know, courses and things like that. Like I was, 
I was looking to be like, well, what is that something else? And the something else is like, yes, I'm selling homes. But creatively, how I go about amplifying that message is up to me. Like there's no there's no rules anymore, really, like how I go about doing that. And that's why I'm excited. Um, I was working on this 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 morning, working at the logistics of shooting like the, the pilot episode for the show around the neighborhood with Scott McMahon. So it's it's going <laughs> to be this. So awesome. It's going to be fun just making the show. So it has really nothing to do. Like it's, a, I'm really interested in historical um, stories or interesting mysteries about all these different places around Portland. And then um, it's just me being the host. So then when I'm done, every episode will have you know just as a plug for my real estate services, and that's and it. I, so now I get to have fun, and I haven't had to have I haven't been able to do that yet. Because I had to learn my job. I had to learn the something else first. So it took me sure. a year to learn the something else. But now I'm much more comfortable knowing what that job is. Um, I'm closing a deal in a house uh, this end of the, end Yay, of the week. You know, nice. so it's like, so Congrats. now I need to advertise it. I need to promote it. I need to create all this content marketing around it. And that's the fun part. And I haven't just, got there yet. But Just finance my movies when you're done. I will. Come on, guys, everyone, tell everyone, please, email Scott, like, when Scott starts making millions, <laughs> please finance a brother. That's all I'm saying. Definitely. Uh, on the ego, uh, corner of ego and desire, oh, yeah, every part year two. Gonna, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do on uh, before uh, before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight. Oh, yeah. So five, every five years, they find themselves back at Sundance, and we'll shoot another one in five years. Oh my God! So five years. That would be genius. That would be brilliant if we could do something. Or better yet, they're like a can, and then the next one will be a Toronto or some other big festival. That'd be awesome. Oh my God! They, they invite you. Yeah, do our film festival. Do our film festival. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And of course, when, you do the, when you're doing your show uh, around town with Scott McMahon, it will be the most non-threatening host, because um, <laughs> that's the inside joke. Uh, anytime he's cast, yeah, he's not threatened. Yes, he's not threatening. Is, yes, you're ambiguous. You're not threatening. You're ambiguous. <laughs> you're ambiguous. You're eth- ethnically ambiguous. So like we yes. don't know, but you hit a quota. I know you hit a quota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody cracks up on that one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's non-threatening. The most non-threatening. Uh, uh, you are, sir. You are non-threatening. See you in the middle of, the, of dark alley. I'm gonna go. What's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> give me your money. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> like exactly. That's exactly the way you're doing. Like, give me your money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, you, you know, uh, yeah, just right. <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Just hand over your purse. Okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry about this. Yeah, I'm gonna exactly. return the purse. I have your address. I just need the money for a minute. <laughs> man, it's a pleasure as always, brother. Too. Too definitely. We'll catch up soon again. Film Trooper, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs.